Morning. Morning. Happy Memorial Day weekend. I hope you're enjoying the weather outside. You know, I was thinking this week, um, you know, we, we all have friends, but your real friends, here's how you know that they're your real friends. You spent time with them in their house, right? That's how you know you got a real friend. You've been in their house. You spent time with them in their house. Um, and, you know, I, was, I learned this lesson in March, that you're not really a real friend unless you spent time in somebody else's house. Um, so you guys know I like to do uh, construction projects. It's a great outlet for me. It's much different than the work uh, that, I, that I usually do. And plus, uh, since Jesus was a carpenter, I feel a little closer to him when I'm swinging a hammer, you know? Amen, Peter? Amen. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so, so my friends and I got this opportunity uh, to go and look uh, at a townhouse that could be a great project for us to renovate. And so, um, so we opened the door, and here's what we found. Um, yeah, it gets better. Yeah, it gets, it gets better. It keeps getting better. There are, some, there are some photos that I cannot show you because you will not hear the sermon if I show it to you. And uh, we decided to go for it, and uh, we, I went through two hazmat suits that day. That was a rough day. I didn't know you could go through more than one in a day. And so we decided to go for it. You know, and, and the most disturbing thing of all in this, uh, this whole thing is that we, we, you know, we found tons of musical instruments and, like, chord charts. Uh, the prior tenant was a worship leader. And I'm not making any judgments here, but when you see the chord chart to give us clean hands in this house... It's hard to reconcile, right? And, you know, one of the saddest things is all is, is that this, uh, the lady that lived there before, that, that she lived this way all alone. Um, her neighbors, when they poked their head in to see kind of what we were doing, they could not believe what was on the other side of the wall uh, from them. They, they were stunned at it. Um, we were able to put a little work into it, and it turned out pretty good. Um, you know, reflecting back on it, uh, you know, kind of... Uh, now, as I look at it, it's like the reason I share that is because she was completely unknown in that kind of life, and she was dealing with, with living in that undignified of a way all by herself. And today, the invitation from Jesus is an invitation to develop deep life with God through being with Jesus. Jesus doesn't just invite us, you know, to come to church or, or to hang out at a coffee shop with us. He invites us into his very life. Now, there's a form of Christianity that has prevailed in our culture that says that you can secure a ticket to heaven by knowing some things about Jesus without ever really being with Jesus. Toward the end of uh, Dallas Willard's life, he was an author and professor, uh, a, guy, a guy by the name of Jim Wilder was spending some time with him on his deathbed, and he, he wrote about Dallas's last days, and Dallas was discovering things about God to the very day that he died that he wanted to share with people. One of those things that he shared was this right here. He says, Dallas makes a distinction between two different forms of spiritual life. Christians have beliefs about God, but are mostly unchanged by their faith. He's just making an observation culturally. And he says, disciples have lives with God and become increasingly mature. To be a disciple is to have been with him, learning to be like him. That's the foundation of discipleship, to be with someone, learning to be like that person. With God, life must and does begin at salvation, not when you get to heaven. Amen? 
That's what he's called us to. He's saying it's, it's, it's possible to be labeled as a Christian, but to never be changed. Like, that's, what, that's what's been possible in our context. Now, the Bible, just contextually speaking, the Bible uses the word Christian. Anybody know how many times? One time. The Bible uses the word disciple over 250 times. Do you think there's a reason for that? I think so, right? I think so, because discipleship is all about being with God as we're among other people. Uh, And I think it's possible that in general, we've settled for a form of spiritual life that really isn't about being with Jesus. So these guys, Peter and John, who were the first disciples that Jesus called, we're going to be looking at today in Mark 1, they they were changed by Jesus. But I want you to notice something that the Jewish leaders of the day, Annas, who was the high priest, and Caiaphas, who was a part of his leadership as well, what they noticed about Peter and John as the first disciples. Here's here's what uh, Acts chapter 4 says. It says, now, when they saw the boldness, this is uh, Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, who was with him, they saw the boldness of Peter and John. There was something to observe about how they lived their lives. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Now, the question is, why were they astonished? They were astonished because they recognized that they had been with Jesus. See, that's the difference maker in our lives, is being with Jesus. It's the thing that I want you to consider today Do you spend your life with Jesus or do you just know things about Jesus? Because it is pure misery to know things about Jesus and to not be with him. God's design of our life is to be with Jesus as we are among others. Uh, And that's our big idea for today, that Jesus calls us to follow him so that we can be with him. If you're a note taker, uh, three points like a good preacher always. I don't want to cut you guys short or anything like that. Uh, so, uh, man, you guys are dead this morning. Everything okay? It's uh, good. Um, okay. I, I like it when you, t- Peter talks back. You guys can talk back too. It's all right. We like it. Here's the outline. Family, message to believe, a method to embody, and a mission to advance. That's what we're going to look at in Mark 1 and 2 here. So let's, let's break up in Mark 1, 14 and 15. There's a message that Jesus has called us to believe, and it's about repenting and believing the gospel. So Jesus has been doing a lot of things. The Father has spoken. Jesus has been baptized. Patrick preached an awesome sermon last week, and one of the big takeaways I had from that sermon was one of the things that Patrick said. He said said that in Jesus' baptism, here's essentially what's happening. He's taking our problem, that we've been separated with God because of our sin, and he's making it his problem. He is binding himself to become the solution to your biggest problem. And that's really good news for us because we can't get ourselves out of it. And so what we see in Mark chapter 1 is that there are conditions that we must embrace for his life to become our life, to really be with Jesus. And so here's what he says in Mark 1, 14 and 15. Now, keep this in mind. These are the very first words of Jesus recorded in the gospel of Mark, meaning you might want to pay attention to them. Now, after John was arrested... Now, John was arrested because uh, he was speaking boldly. Uh, Herod and his wife were really insecure about, about John's uh, preaching and about what it was doing uh, in, the, in the, uh, 
in the city. And so they arrest them. We'll find out what happens to John later. It's, it's pretty ugly. But now, now what's happening, though, is the baton is passing to Jesus. Like he's, t- he's, he's now, you know, kind of taking things over here. Um, and so Jesus comes into Galilee, and he's proclaiming the gospel of God, the good news of God. And he's saying this, the time is fulfilled. That, that word time we talked about a few weeks ago, it's kairos. It's not chronos. Chronos is on your watch. Kairos is a moment. He's, the, the, the moment is fulfilled. The moment has come. It's bursting at the seams. Pay attention to what's happening, he's saying. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. And why should you pay, and how do you pay attention to the fact that the kingdom of God is at hand? You have to repent and believe in the gospel. So what Jesus says, and this, this will be the foundation of his entire ministry, repent and believe in the gospel. So, um, you know, John was the last Old Testament prophet preparing the way for the Messiah, and now this kingdom is here. And Jesus says that if the arrival of the kingdom of God is going to actually change you, like it's one thing to know the kingdom of God is at hand. It's another thing to be changed by that reality, right? If it's going to change you, two things have to happen in our hearts. Um, and, and, the, and the key thing about this is these two things are meant to keep happening in our hearts, church. These aren't past tense realities. These are present tense active realities in the Greek language for us. And there is no, there is no um, kind of determination of when we're finished repenting and believing in the gospel, right? And so, and so, so let's look at what repentance and believing in the gospel really means. Uh, if those are the conditions to us being changed by the kingdom of God, we better know what they mean. Um, Repentance is this right here. Uh, Repentance is turning from the things God hates toward the things that God loves. So so how do we do this? We do this from confessing our sins and and, and being forgiven. Uh, Yes, we do this through prayer, but, but we also do this through action. That word repentance is actually a military term that, it, that, that is given to describe when a soldier does an about-face, right? Have you ever seen like a, a military presentation when they do an about-face and they, they turn all the way around the other way, right? This is what repentance is. It's actually turning from something that, that, that God hates, which is sin, and turning towards something that God loves, which is righteousness. So we can't say that we're actually repenting when it only is happening in our hearts and it's not happening in our behaviors, now, now, I'm not dabbling into legalism or saying you got to look the part for God to love you. I'm not saying that at all because obedience, church, is not a dirty word. It's not a dirty word. It's something that God has called us to. Will we do it perfectly? No. That's why repentance and believing in the gospel is a lifelong endeavor for us as Christians. Obedience is volitionally choosing to put on the new man that Colossians 3 talks about. Obedience is actively choosing to walk in the fruit of the Spirit and not gratify the desires of our flesh, like Galatians 5 talks about. We can't say that we're really being transformed by the kingdom of God and the gospel of God without repentance, without actual action, not just words. So what does believing in the gospel mean? Well, the word gospel literally means good news. The word gospel was not a new word. It's not a word that Jesus just came up with. It was a word that was already culturally contextual to this day. And what we mean by belief in the gospel is this. It's believing the news that Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. So it's coming to the end of ourselves thinking that we can actually offer something to God that would make us acceptable in his sight. 
It's saying, I cannot do that. If you still think, if there's a hint inside of you that still thinks that you can please God on your own, there is no room in your heart for the gospel. The gospel is all consuming inside of our hearts because it took the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus to make life possible for us. So anytime we say that it's up to us to do it, it, it kind of it, it smacks the Lord in the face saying that we don't really need the cross. We didn't really need the resurrection, Father. And, uh, and so the, that word gospel, it wasn't a new word. There was actually a Roman inscription from that same time uh, period that said the beginning of the gospel of Caesar Augustus. So that's the story of the birth and the coronation of the Roman emperor and his empire. It's the story about the news of the expansion of the Roman empire, which would, would have been good news, a gospel, for most Romans. Keller, Tim, the late Tim Keller, which still feels weird to say that, um, said, uh, said this about that word gospel. He says, a gospel is an announcement of something that has happened in history. And it's something that's, that's, that has to be done for you that changes your status forever. Friends, what Jesus Christ has done for us with his life changes our status forever. Amen? It changes us when we actually believe it. But we have to believe some things about ourselves in order to believe the truth of the gospel. We have to believe that we can't do it on our own for the gospel to actually be our gospel. Let me show you how I think about how this all works together. This is called the gospel dance. There's some cards actually out in the lobby if you want to take one of these with you. But, but basically, here's what the Bible is, is telling us about the Christian life. Now, believing in the gospel uh, and repentance and obedience, this is the foundation of how any Christian is ever going to grow. You're going to be transformed by what Jesus has done for us. So, so you can kind of enter into this dance at any point, right? It's, uh, my friend Bob, uh, Bob Flayhart calls it the gospel waltz. He kind of came up with this whole thing. But uh, a guy that discipled me, Monty Stark, shared it with me. So you can kind of enter into the dance at any point, right? And, and we're dancing throughout the day, right? Every day we're repenting, believing the gospel, and seeking to obey him. And so re- repentance, we know that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. He's the one that, that, that shows us that there's a better way to live. And it's our faith that what he says is true that leads us to do that about faith, to actually repent and turn toward him. And then we realize that conviction of sin makes us aware of how desperate we are for Jesus, so if it's up to us to always prove ourselves to God, we won't believe in the gospel, right? Because we don't, we, we, we'll be too prideful to say, I need someone else to do it for me. So we realize that God gives us the greatest story ever told in Jesus where he does the work for us. And that leads us to not feel like we have to get it together, but to desire to obey from our hearts because we're so glad that he loves us. And why wouldn't we want to be more like him, Right? Over time, our lives become more and more like Jesus. We're, we're transformed into his image to a greater degree each and every day that we walk with Jesus. But before the end of the day or the meeting or the moment, if you're like me, you realize, man, I've just blown it again. Anybody else in the room just keep blowing it over the same sense? Good to know. The rest of you are liars. Um, and this is the dance of the Christian life. So for us, the gospel is not just news to believe, it's news that leads us to action. But some of us, you know, we do kind of the two-step, we do the Texas two-step instead of the gospel dance, right? I don't know what the Texas two-step looks like, but I think it looks pretty crazy. Maybe somebody can do it for me one day, but here's what I mean by that. When you take any one of these parts 
out of the gospel dance that you have based your life on. Here's what it looks like. If you were to take belief out or faith, if you were to take believing in the gospel out of the, the, the dance, it would look like this. It would look like obedience that leads to repentance and back and forth. And do you know what that is? That's moralism, which says this. Hey, Jesus, I'll do it better next time. Just give me another chance. I know I've lived like that from time to time. Um, if you take obedience out, it says this. Okay, I'll just repent and believe. It'll just all be in my heart. You know, I'll just keep going after it over and over and over again. But it leads you to do what? It leads to licentiousness, where you eventually surrender and you say, it doesn't even matter what I do. I guess Jesus will just forgive me. And then you just live like hell. Or you take repentance out, which says this. I'll just believe and obey, and I'll just go back and forth and back and forth. And what that leads to is legalism. Jesus, look at me. I'm doing good. Is it enough? And I've lived that way, too. I don't know about you, but I have. If the gospel isn't consistently changing us and calling us to repentance, we might have a gospel, but we don't have the gospel. Both words, repent, believe, all three words, and obey, are, are present in our lives. And our repentance will not be complete a day before Jesus Christ returns. This is why Tim Keller says this. He says that the, like believing in the good news of Jesus, that he had to do it for us, it's not the ABCs of the gospel, so it's not just how you get in the gate. It's the A to Z of the Christian life. You never outgrow the good news. You only grow deeper into it. And likewise, Martin Luther said it like this. He says, repentance is a way of life. So if you're tired of repenting, you better get used to it. Because the more that we grow in godliness, the more that we get closer to Jesus, the more sinful we realize we are, right? And that's okay. That's part of how God is maturing us. And so I don't know what's hitting you out of this, this, this message that Jesus came and preached, repent and believe in the gospel. But I want you to not forget this that it is God that has first come to us on the basis of what he's done, not what we've done. And it is God that will continue to come to sinners like you and I on the basis of who he is and what he's done, not what we've done. And that's really good news to me. It's invitational. It says, okay, I'm not going to think about my track record, but I'm going to think about his heart and how he entered into time and space and gave of himself so that I could be one with him forever. Who wouldn't want to be with a God like that? Revelation 3.20 says it like this, and this is for anyone in the room. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He comes to us. He says, if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. Is this the dance of your life as a disciple, friend? How is it that you still try to relate to God through what you've done instead of what he's done for you? Where is that leading you at today? What might surrender to the real gospel look like for you today? Because I can tell you, here's what's at stake. Your joy and peace in God. That's what's at stake. He comes to you. He knocks. We answer the door. The second thing we see about this calling of Jesus to be with Jesus is that it's a, it's a method to embody Jesus says, come and follow me. A lot of times what we do is we take the message of Jesus, we take the gospel, we say, yeah, sure, I believe that, but we deny the method of Jesus. Jesus came to be with us, and he's called us to invite others on that journey of us being with him, and that's called discipleship. Um, 
So the scenario is this. The kingdom has been announced. Repentance has been preached as it always has. You know, it was preached through Noah. It was preached through Abraham. It was preached through David. It was preached through Moses. And now Jesus is on this mission, but it's unlike anything the world has ever seen before. And, and here's, the, here's the deal. Um, I had the opportunity to go to Israel several years ago, and what you realize is this, is that Jesus did his entire life in an area about the size of metro Atlanta, right? I mean, it's crazy. I mean, like Fayetteville to, you know, Alpharetta or coming is basically the area of where Jesus did his entire life. And most of that time he spent out in the rural region to the north called Galilee. That's where Nazareth was, was near that. And uh, the Sea of Galilee was kind of smack dab in the middle of all that. Um, it's called the Sea. I would call it more like a small lake. It's 12 miles long and 8 miles wide. And how much of Jesus' ministry do you see happening uh, around that? And here's what we see about how Jesus did life with his disciples. Kind of three things here. The first one is this. Is Jesus is the one that's actually calling us to follow him. Let me read it to you, and then I'll, I'll tell you why that's unique. Uh, Mark 1.16 says this. He's passing along the Sea of Galilee, right up there. In that, in that region, and he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, still on the Sea of Galilee, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother. They're also called the Sons of Thunder, which I just think is an awesome name. It should be like a rock band name or something, right? Sons of Thunder. They were in the boat mending their nets, and immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. I guess they just jumped in and just followed Jesus. So there's a lot to unpack here. I, I'm going to scratch the surface with this here, but here's why this is unique. Jesus is a Jewish rabbi. Jewish rabbis would ordinarily have disciples or students uh, with them. But, but the way that they would gather disciples or students is that the disciples or students would approach the rabbi. They would tell them about themselves. They would tell why they wanted to learn from him. They'd tell them about their education, their family. And then those rabbis would select students that came to them to follow them. And um, if you were to be selected, you would learn from the rabbi in the synagogue. You'd learn from his teaching and his ways of leading God's people. A lot was passed down through oral tradition at this time. And, and here was the hope that you too would be a rabbi under his order of teaching. And so it was an honor to have these students come up to you and say, I want to be like you. And uh, it was every Jewish little boy's dream to become a rabbi. Yet in our case, who do we have? We have Simon Peter and Andrew, and we got the Sons of Thunder, and they're all fishing when Jesus calls them, which likely means this, that they hadn't made the cut to follow a rabbi that they didn't have the pedigree, that they had put themselves out there to be selected by a rabbi, and not one rabbi selected them to become disciples of that order. Anyone ever felt like that before? Just not enough? I mean, you, you felt like, man, I don't know, I, I'm not going to get picked. I'm too messed up. My family's not good enough. Jesus sees something in these men that no one else sees. You know what that is? The heart. Jesus sees the heart, and it changes everything. They're not just washed-up fishermen. They're hardworking, humble men who want to be used by God. And Jesus sees them, and he calls them, and they immediately leave everything, and they begin to follow 
Jesus, because Jesus seems to be looking for a different kind of disciple than these other rabbis. And this describes the, the, the radical nature of how they left, and they left family, they left nets, and left boats, and they leave everything at once to follow him. And, and we know that this isn't the last time that they fish, right? I mean, they still had to make a living. Um, but the priority of how they related to their vocation of fishing definitely changed. But here's what we see about followers of Jesus. It's different than becoming a follower of another rabbi. Jesus has to call you to follow him. And this is so significant for us and what we believe about salvation. It's not us just begging God to let us into his kingdom, right? It's God coming down and calling us to himself. And anyone that's ever followed Jesus has been called by God. There is nobody on the face of the planet that's a follower of Jesus that Jesus didn't first call, right? We love because why? He first loved us. He first moved toward us. And when Jesus calls you, here's the beautiful thing about it. John 6 talks about this. He says, all that the Father gives me, they're going to come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. You'll never be lost in God's kingdom. Jesus will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never abandon you. There's nothing that you could do to make him hate you and, and disown you. You belong to him. You are a disciple. He is linked to you forever. That's real good news to us this morning, church. So if you're a follower of Jesus, it's because he has first called you. Some of you in the room, he's calling to himself right now. I really believe that. He's standing at the proverbial door of your heart knocking. And for the first time in your life, you're like, man, Jesus, this news about grace is really good news. I mean, I lived my whole life believing it was a bunch of baloney, but now it seems real to me. It's because Jesus is drawing near to you. Now, here's what we also notice, that Jesus is calling us to be with him, not just learn about him. Easily one of the most uh, impactful men in my life is a guy by the name of Ty Neal. Uh, Ty was a factory worker from central Kentucky that I met when I was in college. Uh, he was being called to, 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 to follow Jesus to help plant this church in Las Vegas, Nevada. And he reached out to me and he said, hey, follow me as I follow Jesus to Nevada. I want you to come with me, come with my family. He was 10 years older than I am and had been married for uh, at least 10 years and had kids sixth grade down to, down to like kindergarten. And he's like, hey, why, why don't you come and move with me? And so um, that was quite the journey because I was in Bible college. And so I had to set my mom down and say, hey, mom, um, I'm going to drop out of Bible college and move to Las Vegas. What do you think? She still remembers it. I know she does. Um, and, uh, and so I did. Uh, we sensed it was God's will. Um, and, and I moved out to Las Vegas. It's also where I met Megan. Um, but those six months that I lived with Ty Neal changed my life forever. I will never be the same because of that man's investment in my life in such a deep and impactful way. I got to, I got to see him discover and feel out his uh, a call to ministry to become a pastor of this church. Um, I got to see him lead his family around the dinner table. I got to see him date his wife. I got to see him work hard to find a job to provide for his family. Uh, I got to see him go broke. <laughs> One day, literally, I, I opened the fridge that I had been mooching off of for all these years or the, all these months, and the fridge was empty. And I was like, "Ty, what's going on?" He's like, "Money's out, bro." And immediately I'm realizing I'm the reason he's out of money. Like it just connected, you know? 
And I had to learn that hard lesson that you got to be a contributor in a household. Some of you single guys need to walk out with that today, amen? You got to walk out with it. You got to understand, right? How else am I going to learn that lesson, though? But that, um, why was that experience so transformative for me? Because I was with Ty day in, day out, with him in every element of his life. And it was that withness that I, that I realized over time that is the core of being a follower of Jesus. It's being with, that's what Jesus is inviting us into, and that's what we are inviting others into when we disciple them. <clears throat> so instead of Jesus insisting that they come and ask, Jesus goes out to call them. And no rabbi had ever done this before. Jesus wasn't inviting these men into a classroom, but he was inviting them into his very life. And in the Gospel of John, it's beautiful because we get even more detail into this interaction. Here's what uh, John 1 says, and this is, so this is the same situation from a different perspective. Uh, he says this, the next day, uh, John the baptizer was standing with the two of his disciples, and, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God. And the, the, the two disciples who we'd figure out later are Peter and John, um, had heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turns to them, uh, uh, and he sees them following, and he says to them, hey, what are you guys after? What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus says the most bizarre thing. Come and find out. Come and you'll see. You see, they, they were approaching Jesus like the ordinary rabbis would, right? And Jesus says, no, 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 let's turn the tables. I want you to come and follow me. And so they stay with them the first day that they meet. They stay so long into the day that they actually spend the night with Jesus. First day they meet him. And that's, that's inviting. That's inviting them into his heart and into his life. And we, we find out later that it's uh, what the, the next verses show us that it's John and Peter there. Um, but, but the thing I want you to see is that Jesus invites us not just to hear him as a teacher or a priest or experience him as a Lord and a king, but to come and stay with him, to spend our lives with him. This is why one of the ways we remember Jesus is around a table. And what do you do around a table? You fellowship with those that you love and want to spend time with, Right? So how do we do that other than take the table? Well, we linger in his word, right? Just to be with Jesus. Just one more verse for my morning before my day gets started. We, we linger with his people just to be with them. Just 10 more minutes of vulnerable and trusting friendship, allowing the residue of Jesus by the Holy Spirit's power to permeate our hearts and our lives in community with others. That's what makes Christian community so distinct, right? It's Jesus with us through the Holy Spirit. We linger in worship just to sing one more chorus of a praise song to Jesus. Christ dwells in the hearts of believers. And if you want to be with Jesus, be with spirit-indwelled believers, sharing his word, sharing unconditional love, and fellowship. That's how you stay close to Jesus. It's God's word, it's God's people, it's God's spirit, always. But lastly, we see this, is that we cannot receive Jesus' call unless we know how unworthy we are. Mark 2, it goes on to record uh, how these other, uh, some other, another disciple was called. This guy was a little different. He wasn't a fisherman, and he knew he had no business following a rabbi. So Jesus went out Again, Mark 2, 13, went out beside the sea, and all the, the crowd was coming around him, and Jesus was teaching them. 
And as he passed by, he saw someone. He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. Levi, most scholars believe that Levi and Matthew are the same person. Uh, They were sitting at the tax booth, and he said to them, follow me. And Levi rose and followed him. And he reclined at the table in his house. Jesus is in the house of Matthew at this point. And, uh, and many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, when they saw him that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they, they pulled his disciples aside. They, they pulled Peter, James, John, uh, and Andrew aside and they said, hey, what's he doing eating with all these tax collectors and sinners? I thought he was a rabbi. And then Jesus hears them and he's like, Jesus jukes him, I love it. He's like, hey, I came for the, for the sick, not the healthy, right? Uh, he said, I, I came to call not the righteous, but the sinners. These are my people, in other words, is what Jesus is saying to them. Now, here's the other thing you gotta notice. Levi is a port tax collector. He's right outside the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and, uh, and so as a port tax collector, he worked for the Roman government uh, and he skimmed a large amount of money off hardworking people, in particular because he was a port tax collector, fisherman. So you got five disciples here, okay, that Jesus has called. Four of them are fishermen. One of them is a port tax collector who's been robbing those four fishermen. You think it's a little awkward? Yeah, right? It's a little awkward. Jesus is calling these men together, and this guy has been robbing these four guys, and now they're called to follow Jesus and be family, right? It's got to be an awkward moment. I mean, could you imagine being Levi? I mean, he's lived an obviously active and corrupt life. I mean, his profession, his entire profession is corrupt, and he's hated by others, and Jesus looks at him, and he knows, like, the shame that you, you feel, I mean, magnified, he feels shame from every single direction. And the only thing that can be a comfort to him is his fancy house and his good meals that he has because of all the money that he's stolen. And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm not just calling you to follow me. I'm going to come in and I'm going to have a meal with you and your friends. How much more does Jesus come to us? See, some of us are in here and we think, ah, if Jesus really knew me, if he knew what I was doing last night, if he knew what I was thinking this week, if he knew the things that I've been about in my life, the things that I'm ashamed of that no one else knows about, if he knew those things, he wouldn't invite me to be around that table with him. Yes, he would. And yes, he does. Jesus comes to us, and he only comes to people who know they're not worthy. That's the key. So if you're in here and you don't feel like you're worthy, you're exactly who Jesus is calling to himself. If you're in here and you feel a little high on the horse, you know, Take heed lest you fall, basically, is what the scriptures say, because you have to be sick enough to be saved by Jesus. And that's who Jesus calls to himself. So my question to you today is this. Where do you see yourself in this interaction? If we were to live play this thing out and you had to choose a character that you identify with, which one would you pick? Would you be the bewildered and frustrated fishermen that are just kind of astonished by the capacity of God's grace as they're watching this whole thing unfold and Jesus rebuke the religious elite that you long to be like and he's saying, you guys don't get it. Or maybe you would be the tax collector, stunned that a rabbi would come near to you, so near that he comes into your house, receives your hospitality, 
um, that comes through deception and shares his life in love with you? Or would you be the Pharisees that just snicker at God's grace? Would you be saying, there's no way this guy's actually a disciple of Jesus? He's too awful. I know the things that he's done. Because here's the deal. If you see yourself as anyone other than the despicable and despised tax collector in this story, you are missing the point. We are all the scum of sinful people. And the goodness of the gospel is this, is that he comes to us. That is the call. The call is to be with Jesus because there's nothing that you could do to make him love you more or less. And what that does in our hearts is it makes us want to follow him even further, doesn't it? So the last thing I want to close with this is that we have a mission to advance. The thing that we know about Jesus is that when Jesus calls his disciples and when he sends his disciples at the end of his life, he gives them basically the same command. On the front end, it's go fish for men. On the back end, it's go make disciples of of, of all nations, right? Go make disciples of Jesus in all nations. Baptize them, teach them. Teach them how to be multi-generational disciple makers. Teach them how to be with me and be with others. That's the call to discipleship. It's to do the same old thing with new people over and over and over again. See, when we become a disciple of Jesus, we are entrusted with disciple making. Everybody who's a follower of Jesus in here has a responsibility. Most disciples... Uh, do not do this very intentionally. Or they might even say, it's the church's job to do that. That was supposed to be a joke. <laughs> Man, we're going to get there. We're going to get there. The calling of the leadership of the local church, though, is Ephesians 4. It's to equip the saints for the work of ministry. In other words, if we're doing our job right, we're helping you do what Jesus called you to do. And no matter what church you're in, no matter what vocation, vocational stewardship you have, no matter where you live, what neighborhood, the call of all disciples is the same. Go make disciples. And if there's something in your life that is not, uh, you're not enabled to make disciples, you've got to figure, figure out really what it looks like to do that. Now, Jesus gave his disciples work to do. He didn't say, quit your jobs and come just do Bible study with me, right? These guys still had to make money. I don't know what they were doing, but I know that Jesus wasn't just flush with cash footing their bill everywhere, Right? And uh, let me say this just about vocational calling. Um, our call to ministry is embedded within our vocational calling. Very few people does Jesus say, hey, your full-time job is going to be to equip the saints for the work of ministry. He does that with some people like me. But really the key is, is that we're called to, to, to relate to our work in such a way that we're actually working for Jesus, we're making disciples of Jesus, but we also have a vocational stewardship that we're called to glorify him in the world. And it's a very diverse application of how we do that. For most of us, our call you know, to disciples won't ever include full-time and vocational ministry. So the question is, what changes in us whenever we're called to make disciples of all nations, to be fishers of men? You know, and Jesus could have easily said to a, to a builder, you know, to a, a construction guy, hey, come build the kingdom of God with me, or to a farmer, let's come grow God's kingdom together, right? It doesn't, the fishing doesn't really matter, but what matters is that the way that we relate to our work is prioritized by being a disciple of Jesus and then doing our work well, not the other way around. But for most Christians, it's the other way around, that our work comes first, and then if we can sneak a little Jesus in there, we might do it. Jesus is saying, this has to be switched around if you're going to be with me, if you're going to be my disciple. Jesus is describing a transformation of priorities. And Jesus looks at, at us 
And he says, follow me. And to follow him, it's going to have to require a change, a change of heart, a change of direction, a change of conviction. And the invitation for these guys was to first prioritize being with Jesus and making Jesus known in their lives. So my hope for you today as we close this out, for every single covenant partner of New City Church that we ever have here at New City Church, no matter how long you're in this local church, that you would be so equipped to do the thing that God has called you to do in making disciples without abdicating your role and your responsibility or just ignoring the call. Jesus called each and every one of us to be active on the mission. And there's a part of us that is developed and comes alive as we choose to follow him. And the beauty of this is all empowered by the gospel of God, remembering that he comes to us even in our unworthiness and gives us his life so that we can do the same with others. Hey, Pastor Ryan here. We're so glad that you've tuned in with us and watched one of our online sermons. Our vision as a church is to live as the family of God together, proclaiming and demonstrating the gospel of grace to one another in our city. If you don't have a church home or you're looking for a church, we'd invite you to attend one of our in-person worship gatherings so you can experience all that God has for us as a community of believers on mission.